Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Today we wrap up our our four-part mini-series here on the Beatitudes and all the truths that Jesus gives through them. In the big picture, you know that we are looking at our calling. This is what God calls us to. As Christians, as followers of Christ, this is what our lives are to look like. Not in the letter of the law, but in the spirit of the law. You know that we are about to round a corner here in 2022 going into the new year. I'll be honest with you, I tremble a little as I ponder what may be in store this coming year. I don't see more fair weather. I think we all see more of a storm coming in. It's going to get darker. It's going to get harder. You don't need me to tell you that that which goes against the Word of God is becoming more and more prevalent. And my mind just begins to spin as I ask the Lord, what are we supposed to do? We know that we're supposed to put the gospel out there, Lord. How do we do it? The Beatitudes in this portion of Luke 6 have come at a very timely moment in my own faith. And for our church family, as we see God saying, Jesus teaching, this is exactly how your lives should be marked as you go into the new year. This is your calling. So today we're going to look at the last four verses in this sermon that Jesus has given. It's the last four verses in the chapter. And I've titled our study today, Obedience Like a Rock. Now, many of you are familiar with this very well-known text here at the end of the chapter. It's the analogy that Jesus gives about a foolish man who built his house on the sand, on the sand. The foolish man built his house on the sand. And then, but then there's a wise man, and he built his house on the rock. Yes, we've sang songs, we've sung songs about this in Sunday school, and you know that the, the storm comes in, and it totally smashes one but the other remains standing, and the text even says it even goes unshaken. This is not only a building difference between worldly folly and godly wisdom. This also reveals the lasting difference between the two. The consequences and the actions of one are polar opposite from the actions and the consequences of the other. We've noted that what we're looking at in this text is difficult but superior. One is the easy road, the other is the hard road. But I would contend that that thought is only in a very small form. The life of worldly folly is by far the harder, more difficult, more painful, more stressful life. Following Jesus is the good life. In the whole, it is the much easier life because we don't have to fight it on our own. God sweeps in and His grace carries us through as we have seen. And as we've noted in our Prior three weeks of study here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those who wish to follow him. 
They say they want to follow him, so he is teaching them exactly what that looks like. And in reality, he again is showing them the blessed life, the good life, the life that withstands the storms and the, and, and the, the life that gains the sovereign favor of God. I mean, who wouldn't want this? And Jesus led off this final lesson here at the end of his sermon, at the end of chapter 6 here, with a confrontational but necessary call. Church family, we are called to do the same. You do understand that the message and the proclamation we give is one that confronts people. We are going to have to anchor into what this call really is and how to give it as we continue through this life. And Jesus starts out with this call to personal honesty regarding one's own faith. Isn't it interesting? Through this text, Jesus is driving the church to look inward. Verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, you've heard me ask this question a number of times. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he put a line in the text? There's only one reason. It's because it needs to be said. This is an issue among disciples. Calling him Lord, Lord, but not doing what he says. Let's waste no time in bringing this to today in our own lives. This would be akin to Jesus asking us, why do you call yourself a Christian, but don't always act like one? Why do you go to church on Sunday, but, but are resistant to obey my word on Monday? Why do you sing all those worship songs, but then neglect to live the way I demand of those who worship me? Why do you serve on Sunday, but... Sin on Tuesday. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? That gripping question should compel all of us to examine our hearts and recognize that Jesus always wants us to be very honest about the state of our faith, to be honest about our Christian living. Remember, he is leading us to where treasures of blessing are to be found. It is difficult, but superior. And in his final thoughts in this chapter, Jesus helps us to see that our talk isn't always lining up with our walk. Turn with me to Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7. This is another one of the Lord, Lord passages, and actually, this is a text that Jesus has inserted in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the text that comes right before the analogy of the wise and foolish men building their homes. So this text in Matthew's account preludes what we're going to look at in Luke's account today. How interesting to see here that just because someone says, Lord, Lord, which indicates passion and intensity. How interesting that passion stated is not always passion lived out. 
Beginning in verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. There is the obedience factor front and center. It's the difference between saying we're a Christian and living like one. Verse 22, many, which should catch our attention and give us good warning, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Isn't that interesting? They were doing the work of the ministry. At least they claim to. But look at the catch in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We see here that it is not that people failed to do good things, even to do spectacular ministry. The issue is that they were practicing lawlessness at the same time. You could say ministry on Sunday, disobedience on Monday. Religion in the public life, but sin in the private. Sanctified at church, but sinful at home. And for some reason, they were shocked when they were not admitted into heaven. That's what you call a very unfortunate misunderstanding. To be clear, they were not kept out because they sinned, because no follower of Christ totally ceases from sin in this life. This is the, the spiritual battle that we all wage. The issue is that they practiced lawlessness. The word practice is a very substantial word. If, you, if, if a man says, I practice law, he means that's what he does for a living, when someone practices lawlessness, by and large, that is how they live. Disobedience is the norm. And Jesus is teaching us in broad, principled terms that we can't say, Lord, Lord, in word, and then not honor his lordship in deed. That's hypocrisy, as we saw last week. Two-facedness. Even if there are some good works and even some ministry mixed in there. Now, if you and I respect and bow to the authority and the lordship of what God commands in his word, then these verses should drive us to serious introspection about our faith. We should pray, Heavenly Father, in what ways do I call you Lord, but then resist obeying what I know you were asking me to do. Perhaps, in this case here in Matthew, the Matthew text, perhaps this obedience starts all the way back at the foundation of gospel-saving obedience. Repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is possible, in, in, in a sense, to believe but not to repent. It's possible, in a sense, to repent, but not believe. People who are so ashamed of their past, 
so ashamed of their sins, so gripped by their sins that they just cannot believe in the sufficiency of the Lamb of God who was and is and always will be worthy to take away the sins of the world. You have to believe. To obey by grace in repentance and faith is always the foundation of gospel salvation. But there is also the matter of gospel sanctification. You know, this is our ongoing spiritual growth. And going back to Luke 6, I would propose to you that this text is not so much referring to salvation as it is sanctification. I'll explain that in a moment. Now, regarding sanctification's obedience, we're reminded that this is not a one-and-done effort. Our obedience is a compass. Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Our obedience is like a compass that we should regularly look to. It's a point of evaluation that we should regularly use to ensure that we are headed in the right direction. Not yet arrived, but headed in the right direction as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible. In this instance, Jesus is teaching his disciples that the needle that points to true north in the faith is obedience. Obedience to his word. Here are a few verses on obedience. I won't put them all up on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles. Starting somewhere up near the pinnacle of scriptures, we have Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. You know, this is the great commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that these are some of the most precise words on how believers are to spend their lives. Make disciples, baptize, teach. Repeat. Once a person is saved, they're truly forgiven. They are a disciple and a child of God. We are then to teach them to observe every command of Jesus. The word observe, this is a strong word that refers to paying very close attention. The implication in it is not only to see but to see to it. You hear the difference? To see to it. To carry out the command with an eye to the last detail. The Greek word for observe also refers to guarding and holding fast. Both of those, those communicate a present, active, ongoing behavior. The holding fast of obedience is a major part of our following Christ. Jesus makes this even more relational, more personal in John. John chapter 14, verse 15. Here he elevates being a disciple to being a loving disciple. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We see that there is an inseparable and authoritative connection between loving God and doing what He says. Obedience is one of the key expressions of godly love. 
If someone were to ask you, do you love God? I think all of us would say yes. If they were to ask, how do you know? Perhaps the answer would not come so quickly. I mean, it's easy to say we love God. It's easy to perhaps feel a love for God. But how does one quantify this? In part, and a very significant part, it is obedience. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 13. John 13, verses 13 to 17. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, now we know the context, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did it to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What tremendous guidance for Christians. You see, my friend, it is not just how much we know about the faith. We can be very full of doctrine, of right theology, and major, major lacking the blessing of God. He says, you are blessed if you do them. This is one of the great keys to the blessed Christian life. Interestingly, as we've noted multiple times in these recent weeks, Jesus is not even asking us to do anything that he also is not willing to do and has already done. He said in John 14, 31, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I mean, ponder the the context of what Jesus just just said here, the, the implications. He's talking about his own testimony, what his life communicates to the world. We as a church family, the people of Christ, The body of Christ needs to know what their testimony is communicating and how to communicate it well. Jesus gives us incredible instruction here by his own example. He said, so that the world may know that I love the Father. You want your neighbors to know that you love God? You want those unsaved family members to know that you love God? Look at what Jesus says. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me, period. You see, Jesus' love for the Father is defined and proven and witnessed to the world by His obedience to the Father. It's how we know He loved His Father. The same is true for us. I can hardly find a text that better sums up the heart of Jesus' message here in Luke 6 than in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. John said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the children born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. There is so much to be found in obedience pertaining to unshakable faith. 
to a heart that just radiates love for God. But you see this text is not just talking about love for God. He's talking about love for one another as well. You and I love one another when we obey God. These are divine mechanics being revealed to us in the scriptures. Big picture. When Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We can see that what he's really asking is, why don't you love me? Big picture. Bringing it closer to home, may I ask, what is your purpose in life? Regardless of how old you are, what are you aiming for? What is the goal of every day? How do you know? What is the standard of measure you use to evaluate whether you're moving toward that goal? Luke 6, and this whole sermon that Jesus has given, is vital for us to answer that question properly. We should be able to say, my goal in life, my aim is to know and lovingly obey God. Till the day I die, that is how I spend each day. That is my mission. That is how I will know my life has been well spent. You see, the mission is not to quote unquote be happy or live the American dream, to be, to be safe and healthy and comfortable. It is far bigger those thing, than those things. And interestingly, the glory and blessing of God includes peace on earth. It includes joy abundantly so. It includes the love of God. We think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. God promises safety and provision like nothing this world can offer. Think of Matthew 6.33. When we get to Luke 9, maybe uh, next fall sometime, we're going to study these words from the mouth of Jesus. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So let that sink in. You will never hear that counsel or that ambition from the world. The best life is the one totally spent for Jesus. As has been said, the safest place in the world is the center of God's will. I'll be honest with you, that is the only way I can in good conscience bless and send Stephen and Courtney and their little boys to unreached people groups in another country. Because the center of God's will is the best place for them to be. And they believe with all their heart that's where God has called them. Hallelujah. Look at verse 47. In Luke 6, verse 47, based on this foundation of doing what Jesus says, Jesus now says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. Before we look at the who is like, look at the three parts. He said, those who come to me. That's the first step. Now, whether this refers to salvation or sanctification, I cannot authoritatively say. There, there is certainly application for both. 
based on the context of all the verses prior, coming into this analogy, I lean toward this being aimed at sanctification, spiritual growth, because this whole passage is about obedience as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. But again, I do recognize that many, including John MacArthur, see this as a salvation issue. That's perfectly fine. Perhaps not accurate, but it's fine. No, I'm just kidding. I am probably wrong. But I got to preach what I see. And I see this analogy in the context of obedience in daily Christian living. When I follow that interpretation through, this analogy makes great sense for the Christian life, and I'll explain in just a moment. I'd love to know your thoughts on this too, by the way. But second part of this statement, Jesus says, and here's my words. This teaches us that when we come to Jesus, we also have to hear what he says. If this whole building on the rock analogy is about salvation, then Jesus is teaching that us that our salvation must be based on his word, on how he defines the terms, not according to our own invention of how to be a good person or how to earn the favor of God. No, we have to hear exactly what he says. I am afraid there are millions of people in the world who believe they have come to Jesus and even say, Lord, Lord, but they know very little of what he actually says. We must hear his words. If this is referring to sanctification, our spiritual growth, again, which I sense it does, then this is helping us to, to see that this isn't a matter of you got your ticket, you got your ticket to heaven, now you go live your life how you want. No, Jesus is saying you need to keep listening to me. Keep hearing my words. Again, I fear there are many, many, perhaps millions of Christians who think they are obeying Jesus which is the third point here we'll get to in a second. But they are not hearing his commands very well. This defines much and many who claim to be the church. It's not that they're trying to be saved on their own terms. They are just living out the Christian life on their own terms. That's why it's so important that we as individuals as families, as a church family, pursue a Bible-centric, Christ-centric faith. The Bible not only has to be our authority, we have to read it and study it and know it. This leads to the third point. Jesus said, and acts on them. Speaking of acting on his word, pure and simple obedience. You see, as believers, as Christians, it is not enough that we just follow Jesus around through life. It's not enough to come to him. It's not even enough to hear him every single Sunday and in Bible studies and in our own reading. We must then also act on what he says, both initially for salvation and ongoingly for sanctification. You see, obedience is the fulfillment of knowledge. We know that knowledge puffs up, Scripture says. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day were prime examples of that. But Jesus didn't give this sermon so that we could all shake our heads at the Pharisees. He gave it so that we would look inward. This is the drive of this entire sermon that Jesus is giving. This threefold statement 
is the gold standard. Come, listen, obey. That is our calling. Based on that, Jesus now says, I'll show you what this kind of person looks like. Verse 48, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So you see here that Jesus gives the positive example first. He'll talk about the foolish man in the sand in a moment. If this is referring to salvation, then the understanding and the application is very simple. Repent, believe, and be saved. It's that simple, but it's that significant. But that's the end of the lesson. But if this is referring to ongoing following of Jesus, then you and I are to be doing two very specific things. One, digging deep. And two, laying a foundation on the rock. And of course, we know that rock to be Jesus Christ himself and his word. First, that phrase, digging deep. That word picture, which of course Jesus did not, not just casually toss out there. He used these words very specifically, very masterfully. Digging deep implies very hard work. The sweat of the brow, not just laying a foundation, but digging. And not just digging, but digging deep, getting down to the hard pan. We're looking at intense labor, pressing beyond what most people would do. The application question would be something like this. How hard are you and I working at our faith and obedience? Are we sweating it out? Pouring our energy into our Christian life. Like the farmer would do, sun up to sundown, regardless of how hot it is, regardless of how tired he is. This is a very simple question. Is our day-to-day -day characterized by working very hard at knowing and obeying Christ? Can all those who know us well say, oh, yes, He's serious about his faith. She is very serious about her faith. You can tell that's the most important thing in their life. There's a good reason to have that testimony, to live that way regardless of what others say. And we'll get to that reason in a second. But Jesus also specifies here the phrase, laying a foundation on the rock. It is not enough to work super hard at our faith to lay a good foundation that foundation has to be laid on the rock. Now, we've stressed already today the importance of founding our faith on the rock of the Word of God, Christ Himself. That's, that's versus some vague notion of what Christianity is or our own opinions and our own feelings about what Christian life should look like. We've already stressed the importance of obeying according to the Word, so we won't dwell here. If we are busy and digging deep, not as a matter of reticent obligation, but as a matter of loving worship, here's the result. Verse 48 also says, and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. When God allows a torrential storm to hit your life, to hit mine. Sometimes it's storm after storm and it just smashes against us. 
How much does it rattle you? How much does it rattle me? Does it, how much does it shake us? Does it, does it cause our house to begin to slip off its foundation? To be clear, we're not talking about how much it hurts. Pain always hurts. The issue is what the pain does to our faith, what it does to our life, our willingness to keep obeying Christ. And this isn't talking about losing our salvation either, this slipping off the foundation idea. Jesus is teaching us how life works for those who follow him. If we are digging deep and laying our foundation on him and his word, life's storms will not shake us. They will not rattle the stability of our faith. They will not wash away our obedience. Why is this? Because the house is well built, the text says. And how do you know, and I know that we are building well in the kingdom of God? One word, obedience. There are a lot of metrics we could use for how good are we doing in the Christian life. Jesus, at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Luke, drives it right down to obedience and faith. Give me a second to skip a part of my sermon. I spent the entire last week cutting things from this text. You would never know that a few weeks ago, as I was looking ahead to this text, I thought, oh man, it's only four verses. It's the foolish man and the wise man. Everybody knows this. If I only do four verses, will there be enough to say? God has opened the floodgates. Very quickly, let me address the matter of legalism. Maybe 15, 20 years ago, this word really made, uh, made an uptick in Christian circles, and rightly so. Grace became the rallying cry, and rightly so. Yes, the grace of God should always be our theme. It is by Christ alone. But my concern is that these terms were not defined well according to the word in people's minds. Legalism was bitterly attacked at the expense of holiness. Again, legalism was attacked at the expense of holiness. Not always, but often. And quote-unquote, grace dangerously began to supplant obedience to the commands of Christ. Yes, again, it is only by grace that we are saved. It is only by grace that we obey but it is by obedience that we love God. And yes, grace is the foundation of obedience and every inch of sanctification, but when grace is shouted from the rooftops and obedience is hard to be found, my concern is that neither are present. Grace does not free me to do what I want. It frees me to obey Christ from a pure heart. The more I study the Word of God, the more I see the power, for, the power of and the demand for obedience, grace-infused, love-infused, faith-infused obedience. 
This is what it means to follow Christ. So what happens when we don't dig deep through obedience? Verse 49, very quickly. It says, but the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly. Jesus keeps putting these phrases in here to help us remind, remind us. I'm talking about your obedience to all these things that I am commanding you. And Jesus gave, just gave a long list of commands about how to live out the Christian life, how to follow him. He said, the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who has built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Three key phrases in what Jesus just said. One, but the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly. I'd like to expound upon that, but for the life of me, I can't find a way to make it clearer. It's hard to add perspective to something so uncomplicated. Those who hear and don't obey... Those who hear and forget, those who hear and perhaps obey, but they aren't digging very deep. The obedience is shallow. Number two, he says, is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. Sometimes we wonder why the house of our life has cracks. Why the, spiritually speaking, why the walls are cracking and the, and the floors are crooked and cold air seeps in during the summer and hot air goes out during the winter. It's just making life miserable at times. We have to understand that without a foundation, without the house being well built, there are going to be a lot of issues. I know in my own natural instinct and thinking, I can find a thousand things to blame for the pain I experience in life, but my mind does not want to go to obedience. There is a foundation to be found in obedience. Look at this more. Point three in this phrase that Jesus gave. He said, and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. We learn from this that to the degree that we fail to dig deep and lay a foundation of the, on the rock through obedience, we won't just lose a little blessing here and there. And I think that's what a lot of Christians think. We won't just experience some consequences When the storms of life roll in, Jesus said the house will fall apart. It collapses. It crushes itself. The damage is massive. The damage to everything in the house and everyone in it, it will be far worse than we think. I have no doubt that when you and I as followers of Christ, as children of God, get to heaven, we will see how much we needlessly suffered because of the lack of obedience. We will also see the proportion of the blessings God was giving and the protection he was giving, perhaps unbeknownst to us, because we were obeying. And every one of us surely will wish we had slid that plumb line back the other direction. Back to our two paths of interpretation very quickly. Could, could this analogy be referring to God's judgment 
and those going to hell who are not founded on the rock of obedience to Christ? Absolutely, very possible. And that analogy would be true. Could it refer to the immense disappointments and the consequences that we believers can experience when times get really hard and it feels like everything in life, including our faith, is falling apart? Because we weren't digging deep and grounding our faith and practice, not just on the knowledge of God, but on our obedience to Him. I believe that is so. We don't lose our salvation, we lose our stability. When a flash flood comes in, you can picture this analogy in this part of the world. When a flash flood comes in, and, and this came to all 12 of Jesus' disciples before he was crucified, they all turn and ran. Peter denied Christ thrice. When the flash flood comes crashing through the desert basin, our faith can indeed take a devastating hit, faster than we would think, to greater devastation than we would have anticipated. Jesus gave this example, he gave this caution and this strong warning of disciples who are building their houses without solid foundations. He gave this analogy because it needed to be taught to those who were following him. This is a key issue for followers of Christ, and I believe we are greatly mistaken if we pass through the verses and go, those don't apply to me, I'm already saved. We would be missing the entire context of everything that came prior. Let me be quick to define what falling apart, collapsing, shaking means in the text. Because again, if we get that wrong, we're going to misinterpret the text, we're going to misapply the text. First, this doesn't mean that we are going through hard trials. Godly people suffer too. We understand this. It doesn't mean that there's pain in our lives. Godly people suffer pain in this life, perhaps more than the ungodly. 11 of 12 of Jesus' apostles were all killed for their faith. Godly people suffer too. This, is not talk, this analogy is not talking about just suffering. Collapsing and shaking refers to sin. Not just doubt, not just fear. It refers to sin. It refers to the absence of the fruit of the Spirit. It refers to disobedience. The house is cracking when we disobey. Christian friend, if that's the case for you, for me, we should slowly work our way back through this text. Spend time in communion with God in the light of His Word, asking Him to show us where we need to dig deeper, not just for information, but for obedience. The bottom line in this text and the thrust of what Jesus has spoken to his disciples, to this crowd of his disciples, those who at least say they want to follow him, the bottom line 
is that God wants us to have a very real and sincere conversation with him about the state of our faith and obedience. Not as a matter of legalism or resentful obligation, but as a matter of lordship, worship, and love. Gratitude, faith, all on the foundation of God's truth and grace, Christ himself. It's on the foundation of the Holy Spirit being alive and doing the divine in us as we surrender. Jesus asked one question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Today is a good day for us to resolve to know the word even more but also to obey it even more. If we feel like our faith is cracking and falling apart to any degree, the answer is found in truths like being poor in spirit, being willing to serve and sacrifice and even suffer for Christ's sake. You see, I'm starting to summarize the prior verses. It's talking about a willingness to love our enemies and to do good like Christ did to us, like God did to us. It's talking about having the faith to let God defend us, putting our focus and the treasure of our heart on spiritual things more than material, ceasing from being so judgmental of one another, so critical, so condemning, and choosing forgiveness and generosity instead. As we saw, we give those things even when they are not deserved. God himself is kind even to the ungrateful and evil man. Talking about filling our heart with good treasures so that good words will come from our mouth and obedience will come from our hands. This is what it looks like to dig deep and lay a foundation on the rock of Christ and his word. This is what it looks like to follow the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one whose commands lead to the good life. They lead to well-being. It's his law that leads to liberty. This is where we find greater and greater stability in Christ. As we go through the holidays and into the new year, please pray for me to do what I have preached. Pray for one another as a church family. Imagine homes and a church family where verses 20 through 49 largely define us. That would be a taste of heaven on earth in this place. That is our calling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.